This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Zulfa Katu, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I know. So where are you? I am in Switzerland right now. Yeah, and I'm in France right now. Isn't the world is getting smaller? Very, very small. I love that we're neighbors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just up the road. Um, let me introduce you. Zulfa is a Canadian Syrian author. She's also a pharmacist who is currently undertaking a master's in drug sciences. With her young adult debut, As Long as the Lemon Tree Grows, she will become the first Syrian author to be published in the US and the UK in the young adult category. The novel is a about a young girl and a pharmacy student set during the Syrian revolution. We're also neighbours in terms of family because my parents are Lebanese. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of links here. Yeah. A lot of small world stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have been to Syria, but it was a very, very long time ago. Uh-huh. I, yeah. yeah. I grew up in Australia, but one time when I went back to Lebanon, you couldn't go directly to Beirut at the time, and I think I had to go via Syria. Um, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Sometimes uh, back then it was um, traveling to Syria was actually also very difficult. Yes, uh, like limited airlines and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't recall when that was, but I think it was back in the eighties, maybe nineteen eighty nine. Anyway, so um, my Arabic is appalling, just as long as you know that. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. You're good. <laughs> but I do want to talk to you about that, and and people that listen to this podcast will know this. I love talking about identity because of who I am, and I guess because of who you are. You know, um, here you are, a Syrian living in Switzerland, and I want to know how you got there. Um, so let's start with that. Well, uh, my story goes from all over the world. I do have Syrian roots, but I was born in Canada. That's where my parents met. They got married and they had me. And then we moved to Switzerland and our time was split between Switzerland and the UAE for identity purposes. Like I needed to learn Arabic, you know, and, you know, get in touch with my religion and all that. And it was really great, you know, having both sides of that life. And I haven't really lived in Syria at all. I've only known Syria through summers. And so I do like from since I was a toddler uh, until I was 15 years old. And I do remember what my village looks like. I do remember what Damascus looks like. But I've never really seen Syria after the revolution. We've only seen it through the eyes of the people who have lived there and through their testimonies on, you know, when they talk about it on Facebook or Twitter or within the Syrian community when they talk about it. So the connection to Syria was a bit distant, but it became much stronger after the revolution started because I felt like, oh my God, like these are my people, like this is happening to people that are from my own country. And so I tried to, I wanted to help them as much as I can. And that's how Lemon Trees came into 
you. Mm. I want to talk about that because it's similar to me. Like, you know, I mean, my parents were born in Lebanon um, and they came to Australia. There's six of us. So some were born in Lebanon and some were born in Australia. And I was one of the ones born in Australia. So, you know, I've never lived in uh, Lebanon for a length of time after the early years. But I feel such a connection. And I think you do too in what, what you're saying to me because in Australia, I've always felt Lebanese. And when I go to Lebanon, I feel Australian. Exactly. But I want to tell you the story, which I've told before in this podcast. The last time I went to Lebanon, which was a few years ago now, here I am traveling. I've got an Australian passport. I'm going to see relatives. I'm going to Beirut. And I get to the immigration officer. And he's a young person. He he would have been, I don't know, 30 the most. And he looks at my passport, born in Sydney, Australian passport. And he looks at my passport and he says, welcome to your homeland. Oh my God. Mm. I got chills. Like not gonna lie. I got chills. Mm. And that's how strong identity and connection is. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me firstly about, because I think too, when I was younger, identity was there but it didn't have as much meaning. It kind of became more meaningful to me exactly. as I grew up. And that's, yeah. I think, your experience. Talk to me about that. Um, the thing is, because as I said, I split my time between the UAE and Switzerland. So in UAE, I feel I feel like it's my home. I lived in Sharjah and I was surrounded by people who looked like me, wore the hijab and spoke my language. And that was, that was amazing. Mm. But times when I used to go back to Switzerland, I'd be like, it, it just, it, like a wall came up. And I just felt like I couldn't be myself 100% because like, even now I walk in the streets and people give me stares. And so that- well, Because you're wearing a headscarf. Because I'm wearing a hijab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. I don't know why. I can't tell you, but like, they just, they stare a lot. And so you, as, mu- as, strong, as much as you'd like to think of yourself as you're strong, it just gets to you sometimes. And so I would have, I wanted to refuel myself by going back to an Arab country where people look down and it doesn't matter which Arab country you come from. We're all the same because we're all Arabs. Mm. And so that was, that was amazing. And so identity wasn't really that big when you were living in an Arab country because everyone was like you. So you're like, you take it for granted. And then- well, um, somebody said to me recently, I can't remember who it was. It was an author that I was speaking to. Oh, no, it was the American show, Trevor Noah. And he said, um, I love that guy. He said, uh, isn't he amazing? He said, there are no, you're not black in Africa. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember him saying that. I watched that. Yeah. 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 That was, Doesn't was, that make yeah, like that's so true for me as well? When I was yeah, um, so it's 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 you're not a minority there. You're you're the majority, and that and then you can do whatever you want because this is who you are. Um, but now I've, I've I've completely moved to Switzerland. I'm pursuing my master's here, so that disconnect has come back. And so I, for a very long time, I always felt as a, as an apologetic Muslim, like oh, I'm so mm. sorry that I'm. But I look like this and I and I and I speak Arabic and blah blah. And then it hit me one day. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what is that? Like it takes more energy and more effort to actually be who you are, but it is so worth it. Like now when people stare at me, I stare right back mm-hmm. until they look away. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's like this, it becomes this game, like who breaks mm-hmm. eye contact first. I've won all the time, thank God. Mm-hmm. So that's been that's been like um it's giving me a boost to be mm-hmm. who I am. 
Mm. Um, People try with me always, you know, when they find out I'm Lebanese to find out what religion I am, and I just don't engage in it. I'm not interested. And I don't know. I know, exactly. I mean, I I feel like I'm an atheist, and but everybody can think what they like. You know, it's it's I, I I'm accepting of people, you know, but uh, it's interesting. And I don't know if this happened to you and where you were at the time, but when 9-11 happened um, in Australia, there was a lot of Arab backlash. People, oh. yeah, a bit like what the Chinese experienced during COVID, terrible discrimination. Oh, yeah. And I remember being at a dinner and somebody said to me, how do you feel about your people murdering other people? Mm? Yeah, mm? yeah. I mean, how short-sighted is that? I don't know. Mm. So we're I all was, dealing with it. Exactly. I was seven years old when it happened. And I still remember, actually, I was six, sorry, I was six. I was living in Switzerland then. And my mom debated whether sending me to school or not because mm-hmm. she was afraid that they would ask a child who's six years old, doesn't know what's going on. Um, so people died because of you. And what do you think about that? And because we value education a lot in our, my household. So I was sent to school with instructions to say, I don't know what's going on if somebody asks. But like to, the fact that somebody that she thought somebody was going to ask a child, like, can you? It's just it, it's mind boggling. At the time, I accepted it. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I'm responsible for whatever happened mm-hmm. as a child. I was mm-hmm. younger than 10. Mm-hmm. But now when I got older, I'm like, oh, my God, that was so messed up. That was so messed up. That it we went had... on for years in Australia. Yeah. It went on for years, yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the backlash still spreads to this day. I mean, yeah, it's... yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, people are now more aware than they were mm. back then. But mm. still, you get bigots, you get racists. Tell me about, and I want to get onto Syria um, and, and the book, but before that, tell me about your path to religion and why it was so important to you. It's important to me because it is it is where I feel peace. I feel like you have your body that you nourish it with food and then you have your soul that you nourish it with spirituality and religion. And for me, that was always what gave me power and mm. what gave me, what made me feel complete. Mm. That when I wear this hijab, I don't wear it for anyone, I wear it for God. This is this is my belief, and this is what I what makes me feel whole. And so it was always a, a source of power for me. And it, sometimes, as I said, because when I was an apologetic Muslim, thankfully not anymore, I did feel like it was a part of not, not I don't want to say shame, but like something I wanted to hide and just like become a whitewashed version of myself and be like, well, I'm okay. I'm I'm like you, but I just wear this as an extra. Now I'm like, this is me, take it or leave it, you know? And thankfully I've had a lot of people who are like, no, we'll take it. You're pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's always been a, a source of, of comfort and power for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me, firstly, I can see here that you're an underachiever. Mm. <laughs> you don't do much. Very, yeah, very. yeah, you're <laughs> studying. <laughs> yeah, you're a pharmacist. You're doing your masters, and you've written books. I mean, I don't know. What do you do in your spare time? I bake. <laughs> I do. Oh, I do oh, too. Oh, it's, it's so relaxing. Ah, oh, do you know? Um, my mother died earlier this year, and yeah. it was awful. Yeah, it's it was so deeply sad. But uh, one of the ways that I've channeled my grief is to uh, find things that she used to make and make them. Oh, that is so mm. proud. Oh, that is so cool. So I took a mammal class recently. Oh. Yes, and I've been making. Yeah, I've been making marmol like crazy. Like there's not enough people to eat them, but I'm still <laughs> making them. I love that. That is amazing. I mean, that's that's just like your mom speaking through you. That's beautiful. Mm. 
Yeah, oh, mm-hmm. but I love that. Yeah, what yeah. do you make? Oh, um, I do. I I love making different kinds of desserts yep. and lots of different kinds of cakes. And I try to do like the aesthetic ones. I don't know if you've seen them on Pinterest, and they have like different colors with the frosting and stuff. Yeah, um, I do. Mine look really like weird, but like cute weird. You know, like oh, this is what you would see at a you know a witch who lives in the forest <laughs> has that kind of cake. I'm like, I like that. That's like yeah. that's my vibe. It's not precise and beautiful like the Instagram ones, but it's it's homey. Mm. Um, and I love baking cookies, brownies. Um, I'm going to venture into knafe. <gasps> I tried to make that during COVID. I made two attempts. It wasn't great. Yeah, I, it's very it's it's hard. Very it's very mm. tricky, yeah. Mm. But one of my favorite Arabic desserts um, based in Syria are atayef. Do oh, you know them? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally. Honey. We need to do a food podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we do. Um, oh, no, it's like a dough that is filled yeah. with cream or some sort of mm. cheese. And it's like so, and then you fry it and it melts and it's mm. so and then you you put syrup on it, like mm. rose water syrup, and oh my god! And then sprinkle with some pistachio. Oh my <laughs> yes, god! Yes. This is like yeah. <laughs> so it has yeah. a sweet memory to it, and but like it's so good. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So talk to me about the book and how you got to writing about this because it's, it's again, it's identity, but it's also a departure in a way, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to, so when I completely moved to Switzerland and, um, I was talking to people and I was learning German. So I was talking to people within my German class and then people were like, Oh, you're Syrian. So are you a refugee? And I'm like, Oh, you people don't know. Like, obviously there's nothing wrong with being a refugee, but I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, but they don't know what's happening. They just see what the results, the consequences, because as I said, everybody in the Arab world knows what's going on. So moving here and being like, finding out the truth that Europe and the West don't really know. I was like, oh, someone needs to change that. And so the idea came to me 
to write a story about a girl and the reasons why she leaves. I know there's been like a lot of stories, like a lot of nonfiction books that deal with this is how many people died. This is what's going like, you know, political stuff, you know, and it's like, yes, this is important, I guess, but like you need stories to touch people's hearts because the people who are watching the news, they're not going to read nonfiction books. Stories are what, you know, elicit human emotions. And so I wanted to write it through the point of view of a, of a young Syrian girl trying to leave the reasons why she leaves and to show that these reasons aren't taken so easily. Like this is not an easy decision to just, you know, one day up and leave be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go to Germany today because I felt like it. And it's Oh, do you know, some people say to me, and they still do, it drives me insane. You know, I'd be okay with refugees if they were, if they um, joined the queue or if they came in the proper way. It's just like, who wants to leave? Think about it. Who no. wants to leave everything they know and their family and risk their lives to yeah. save their family? Exactly. Yeah. And this is, they they have no guarantee that they will reach. There's no guarantee. And that is something that people probably don't realize they, because they're just seeing the people who arrived. So they're like, oh, everybody arrived. No, the Mediterranean Sea is filled with dead bodies. Like this is this is heartbreaking. There are, there are refugees who are freezing to death, starving to death. And refugees who are dying in the back of trucks, mothers, children. Yes being smuggled in and, and this is the nobody wanted this nobody wants to do this but they do this because there is no other choice because what they're leaving behind is something way 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 more horrific and that is what elementaries is trying to be that message it's a it's a message of hope that is very important for me but it's also a message as to why this is happening and Thankfully, I've had a lot of people who aren't Syrian, aren't Arab, and aren't Muslim who read the book, and they're like, "Oh my God, thank you so much for writing this because we had no idea." I mean, they were in part, they were they just they were like, "Oh, refugees." It was like um, something like an afterthought, but now they're like, "Oh no, this is this is a problem, and we need to fix it." Mm. And people talk about people movement, like. You know, the minute you start that there is violence and there is war and those elements come from lots of different places, bang, you're going to have people movement. So until we start behaving differently, it's just going to keep going. That's what's happening. Anyway, let's talk about how you came to be a pharmacist. I mean, I feel as though that you've packed a lot in 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 your young life because you're not that old. Talk to me about that, how you came to pharmacy and why pharmacy. Um, I'm actually really confirming to the Syrian stereotype of girls studying pharmacy because that is, um, that's a very high percentage. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a very high percentage because in Syria, it's very, it's great to be a pharmacist because you can work. And if you have a family and you get married, you can still work because you can open your own pharmacy. And so you can take care of your family while also getting money from your pharmacy. Oh, okay. It's like, it's, it's, it's family friendly. And I've always loved the medicine side of life, but I never had the patience to be a doctor. So I was like, pharmacy is the next best thing. And yeah, it's, I've, I love science and I love biology and pharmacology and all of that. So uh, jokes on me because I've been studying now for like eight, eight plus years. So it's like, as if I became a doctor, Um, but it's, it's been, it's been amazing. I just, I, my heart is like, into two, like literature and science. And I loved writing that into Salama, who is also a pharmacist, that I was able to talk about what I studied 
So finally, those eight years have paid off <laughs> in my book. Well, that's what I want to talk about too. So, you know, there's one thing, um, studying science, learning German. Uh, how many languages do you speak? Three. Yeah, of course you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's another thing actually, one, having the story and thinking I'm going to write it. But there is the discipline of writing it, which is different to studying pharmacy. So talk to me about the practicalities of that and how you got there. Did you go to a writing class or tell me how you approached it? So I I always thought I can't be an author unless I studied English literature at the university. And that is not true. Anybody yeah. can write from my experience, from everything that I've seen, I think if you know how to write grammar right and you have a certain unique voice, everybody has a unique voice, so that's not a problem. You can write a story. That's it. And everything else can be managed and fixed because the lemon trees that is going to be out in the world is not the lemon trees I wrote. It's not the one that I signed with my agent or the one that I I I uh, I. But, uh, sold with Bloomsbury and Little Brown. It is not, it is completely different. And it's, and it went through so many changes, so many great changes. I cringe when I think about the first draft. So for me, learning how to write was through writing. So I used to write before I used to write fan fiction. Um, and that helped me a lot with my, um, with my writing skills, but it was still atrocious. I still, I say they're still up. No one's going to know my username because I keep them as a reminder of how far I've come. And people were so, so amazingly gracious in the comments. They're like, oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. But thank you. Thank you for saying that now. Um, and so for me, I learned writing through writing. And that's my message to everyone. Just like keep on writing. And that was my fire for me. My fire was that I needed people to know the story and I was going to do whatever it takes to get that story out there. So I would study until like five o'clock when it fin when class is finished. And then I would write until 10 to 12 p.m. at 12 a.m. Sorry. And so that I, I still don't remember how I did that because like I kind of like really blacked out because it was a lot. It was a lot going on <laughs> in a lot of days. But yeah, it thankfully it paid off. And I feel like with hard work, eventually it does pay off somehow. How was it then that you thought, okay, well, I've got a book now. I have written before, but I think this is the book. How then do you approach getting an agent, um, getting a publisher? Tell me about that process for you, because that's not easy. I mean, writing the book is the first battle and then there's oh, yeah. battle. To, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Googled how to publish a book, like literally. Yeah. The first one was like, write a book to find an agent. And I'm like, oh crap, how do you do that? Because I didn't know. Um, and then I met, um, I, do you know NaNoWriMo? Um, NaNoWriMo is like, uh, it happens in November where people write a whole novel within one month. Oh and yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so there was like a community here in Switzerland and I went to them and I was writing Lemon Trees with them. And then they told me that Twitter is a place where, you know, you can find other authors and a lot of agents are there. And I'm like, oh, so you can, you know, make some connections and you can find an agent through Twitter. And back then in 2018, 2019, that was the norm. So I had a Twitter account and I started connecting to other authors, other writers who were amazingly, absolutely amazing amazing people. And then I revised it. I submitted into a program called Author Mentor Match, where published authors or agented authors help aspiring authors to make their book better. And it was, that was all on Twitter. So Twitter was the place where it all began. And I was able to work with my mentor, Joan F. Smith, the, with Lemon Trees. And I um, did DV Pitt. 
which is also a Twitter. I don't want to say it's not a comp. It's not a contest. It's like where you uh, a tweet about your book in a tweet. So you tweet, and then if an agent likes it, then you can send them your book. And that's how I found my agent. She liked my tweet, and so she gave me an R and R. I worked with it. R and R is a revising resubmit. So she read it. She liked it, but she's like, "Can you do these changes and then send it back to me?" And I worked on these changes with my mentor. And in 2019, I submitted to Ali, my agent again, and she offered within two weeks. Mm-hmm. And we were editing together as I rewrote Lemon Trees three times, mm-hmm. and that was. That killed me, but it was so worth it. Like, I know a lot of writers are so scared from rewriting. Don't be. It really makes the book better. And so we worked on it for like a year and a half. And I sold it in 2021 uh, within four days, which was mind boggling. How did you feel? Uh, It's actually, I'm the kind of person who doesn't feel things until they happen. So when my (laughs) agent called me at 12 a.m., I'm like, right, right. (laughs) Because like. Nobody sells in four days. That's not a thing. And so she's like, when we went on sub, she's like, put it out of your mind because like, it's going to be a very long process. I'm like, I understand. I know this. I know this for my friends. And so when she told me after four days, oh, can we have a call? I, it didn't even occur to me. Like, who does? Like, how? But my wonderful editor, Rukaya in Little Brown, read it within one day. I'm like, oh my God. Like, she, she really wanted it. And so we, yeah, I just, I couldn't, she offered to preempt and we, we accepted and within one month, Bloomsbury came along and bought it as well. And then all the foreign rights started trickling in. It's a wonderful story. Also too, you touch on the relationship um, about editing, which we call, you know, editing. Um, and I, I think that that relationship is so valuable. But usually when I meet first-time authors pre-publication, you know, they'll say to me, I don't want, you know, it's perfect. I don't want my book touched. Uh, you know, I don't want anyone to to change it. Yet I have not, I, really, I don't know one author, and I know a lot, you know, I've interviewed over 300 authors on this podcast, who hasn't said to me at the end of the process, it was the most worthwhile process. Yeah. And it was so good for my story. And, you know, writing is such a solitary con- occupation in a way, yeah. isn't it? Because you're in your room. Yes. But once that book goes to the world, like the beginning of that, then it's collaborative because you're back and yeah. forth with your editor. Then when you get closer to publication, you're back and forth with the sales and marketing. And then mm-hmm. then when it gets published, you're back and forth with the reader. It's wonderful, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Your world becomes bigger every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you think you'll continue? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm writing my second book right now, which is the opposite point. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Well, my deal is a two book deal. So, um, yeah, it's the opposite side of the coin to lemon trees. And it deals about what happens when you reach land. So people are like, oh, they're safe. They're not. (laughs) There's still a lot to work with, a lot of identity stuff, a lot of trauma and how people perceive you. Starting up from scratch, you know, starting all over again. Imagine people losing the home that you live in and then all of a sudden that's not yours and that's it. Yeah, starting again. And you have people like who had PhDs who worked in like very high places and now are forced to start from scratch like not not within not with their own profession like for example in factories or so and it's like mm-hmm. and they they're given less than minimum wage which makes you think about the people who actually work in these situations who get less than minimum wage and it's like what mm-hmm. this whole world is constructed in a very very sad way mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I can't thank you enough um, for writing this story um, and for us learning. It really is a beautiful book. It's called As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow. Uh, Zulfa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. This was amazing. <laughs> If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.